You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Microsoft disrupts GRU cyber operations. Facebook takes down Iranian-coordinated inauthenticity. India's power ministry says it stopped a Chinese cyber attack. David DeFore from WebRoot on evolving attack mechanisms. Our guest is Dan Petro of Bishop Fox with a warning for document redaction. And grid security and the value of exercises. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 8th, 2022. Microsoft says it's blocked GRU cyber operations directed against U.S., European, and Ukrainian targets. Redmond calls the group Strontium, in its metallic naming convention for threat groups, but the threat actor is also known as APT-28 and, of course, Fancy Bear. The disruption was a familiar takedown, Microsoft explained. On Wednesday, April 6th, we obtained a court order authorizing us to take control of seven Internet domains Strontium was using to conduct these attacks. We have since redirected these domains to a sinkhole controlled by Microsoft, enabling us to mitigate Strontium's current use of these domains and enable victim notifications. This particular GRU campaign isn't the only one Microsoft has observed during Russia's war against Ukraine. Microsoft characterized Strontium's use of its now sinkhole infrastructure as follows. Strontium was using this infrastructure to target Ukrainian institutions, including media organizations, It was also targeting government institutions and think tanks in the United States and the European Union involved in foreign policy. We believe Strontium was attempting to establish long-term access to the systems of its targets, provide tactical support for the physical invasion, and exfiltrate sensitive information. We have notified Ukraine's government about the activity we detected and the action we've taken. Among the inauthentic social media operations Meta took down this week were two Iranian espionage groups. Meta's quarterly adversarial threat report said, 
The first network was linked to a group of hackers known in the security industry as UNC-788. The second was a separate, previously unreported group that targeted industries like energy, telecommunications, maritime logistics, information technology, and others. The first, familiar actor, the threat cluster UNC-788, associated with Phosphorus, Charming Kitten, used a malicious version of a legitimate Android birthday calendar app, a remote access tool that represented itself as a Quran, and a data harvesting and remote access tool in a chat application. Its target list also included familiar interests, journalists, dissidents, human rights activists, universities, and so on. Indian authorities say they successfully stopped a cyber attack by Cicada, the Chinese threat actor also known as Stone Panda or APT-10. The attacks, described by Recorded Future, were concentrated in the disputed Sino-Indian border around Ladakh. The Deccan Herald quotes Power Minister R.K. Singh as saying, Two attempts by Chinese hackers were made to target electricity distribution centers near Ladakh, but were not successful. Power grid security has been of concern elsewhere. The Wall Street Journal and Readme credit the biennial GridX war game with doing much to shape CISA's Shields Up program. The most recent GridX was held in November, which afforded an opportunity to prepare for increased threat levels during the run-up to Russia's war against Ukraine. A report of lessons learned from the exercise was released yesterday. It includes high-level recommendations, each of which is expanded in some detail in the body of the report. They include continue to build effective communications procedures and systems to share operational information, clarify the differing crisis communications roles of the Electricity Subsector Coordinating Council and reliability coordinators with government and their members, including Canadian members, continue to build effective communications procedures and systems to share security information, continue to build on understanding of GSE, continue to enhance routine and emergency operations coordination between the electricity industry and natural gas providers, strengthen operational coordination between the electricity industry and communications providers, and finally, continue to reinforce relationships between governments in the United States and Canada to support industry response to grid emergencies. Note the emphasis on communication and relationship building, and of course, remember, shields up. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. 
Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Sometimes in the course of, say, penetration testing, you need to deliver client reports and they'll often have very sensitive information in them. Sometimes data that you don't want to necessarily include in clear text. And so you have a need to redact information. With text, that's pretty easy. But sometimes it happens in a photograph. There's a picture of a screen or something like that and you have some text in there inside an image. So how do you properly redact that? Dan Petro is a lead researcher at Bishop Fox. People would like to get uh, really cute and clever with uh, redaction techniques. You know, you try like blurring the data or swirling it or something like that. Um, And very often you'd see pixelization, like pixelation. It's a kind of a way of saying like, well, look, like kind of half revealing the data. And it was always apparent to me, at least at the time, this process can't be secure. There must be a way of like re- of like undoing that redaction process, right? Like it's clearly leaking information through. Like you can see bits and parts of it, but there was never like a tool to like properly do this um, that like yeah. like really worked. And so um, I finally got around to uh, making a tool that you know does basically exactly that. That you could take pictures of a redacted text using that pixelation process and uh, reverse it into its original text. Well, take us through exactly how you set about doing this. Yeah, that's a good question. So there's uh, some existing uh, tooling on this. Um, the, the most prominent is a tool called DPix that uses this like really fancy process of like a De Bruijn. I think I'm saying that right. The J might be silent or something. Mm-hmm. A sequence that's literally trying to take those pixels and really reverse them. Let's take a further step back about like what the heck is a pixelation process to begin with, right? The algorithm for it is actually remarkably simple. You just um, take a an n by n grid. You just define uh, how big you want your block size to be, and then the algorithm just goes through and averages all of the pixels inside of that block, um, and then sets the pixel equal to that average. So it just basically takes all of the data and smears it into these blocks. And the algorithm mm-hmm. is remarkably consistent across like every tool. So whether you use GIMP or Photoshop or like whatever, it'll basically do the exact same process. So um, this tool called DPix uh, is, is super clever. And it actually, what it does is it tries to figure out like what letter could have resulted in that exact pixel given its precise uh, value. That like, depending on varying circumstances, uh, there might be some noise um, though, right? Like if you like had a picture of a picture or if there's some slight error in the rendering, the wheels tend to fall off of it pretty quickly. So is this a matter of that, you know, the, the English language, for example, has a limited number of characters. And if you combine that with, a, you know, something like a, a dictionary, do you find yourself making pretty good guesses? 
in my tool um, on Redactor, we didn't use English words as like a guessing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily brute force the whole thing, much like a pass-through cracking uh, technique. My insight into this was uh, DPix is, is really uh, great and really fancy, but it's almost too fancy for me. Like I wanted to do something much more dumb. Like how about we just brute force it character by character? We're just going to guess. So all my tool does is you tell it the um, the font and like the font size and some other detailed information around like character spacing and letter space and things like that, enough to reliably reproduce the original uh, format of the text. And then it just guesses the characters one by one. So it tries the letter A and then renders it using a uh, headless Chrome. It's a, a, an Electron app. And then uh, tries the letter B and then tries the letter C and sees which one matches up. And what's really nice about that is it doesn't need to match up exactly. Um, you can kind of get within a certain distance of it. Uh, it's like has a kind of fuzzy matching threshold. Mm-hmm. So even if there's a little bit of noise or you don't get the font exactly right or you don't get the spacing quite precise, it's actually fine. As long as it's close enough, it's good. And you can do that character by character. So you don't need to like guess whole, unlike you know, got the password guessing, you need to guess the whole password. Um, you can't just guess half the password. There's no uh, you know, extra credits. There's no partial credit for half guessing a password when you're password cracking, right? Well, that's not true with uh, this redaction technique with pixelation. If you get the first three letters right, then you can know about that. And that's kind of you know, the, the crux of the vulnerability if, if you really put down to it. That unlike wow. a regular hashing problem, that has in, in cryptography terms, it has no diffusion, we would say. If you change one letter, it only changes the hash, if you want to call it, the pixelization, the, the redacted text. It only changes it in that exact area. Um, and so the consequence of that is that you're able to guess it character by character. So you actually don't even need to you know, throw English words at it or whatever. Though if you wanted wow. to, that would actually strictly improve the process. So how good is it? I was very quickly able to um, solve the challenge text that I could produce. But, you know, that only means that I could solve a problem that I made for myself. So um, naturally, the very first thing I wanted to do was find a, a good test for this. And uh, lo and behold, there's actually this uh, wonderful uh, challenge text by um, another company called JumpSec that had looked into the exact same problem, found uh, DPix, and identified that, you know, maybe it works a little bit better in theory than in practice, and they issued like a challenge to the internet to say like, here's some redacted text, you know, can solve this, send us a note. And so, uh, yeah, I uh, threw um, Unredactor at it and uh, it worked. <laughs> so I was, I was super happy with it. Um, wow. I reached out to um, Caleb over there at JumpSec and they uh, confirmed that my uh, guess was correct. They work out of the UK, so it took a little while, um, but they sent me some uh, JumpSec swag. I got like a a mug and some uh, it's a, a nice notebook from them. So the, yeah, huge nice. shout outs to Caleb over at JumpSec. They're a great sports. So what are your recommendations then? I mean, in, in terms of uh, redacting things, I guess, you know, pixelization is, uh, is no longer on the menu, right? Definitely. The only way to go about it is to use black bars fully covering the information you want to redact. Anything else is leaking information that can potentially be reversed. So Unredactor doesn't specifically work against blurred text, but there's no reason one couldn't make a slightly modified version of my program that just works on blurred text. So I wouldn't recommend doing that sort of thing either. Of course, that comes with the normal caveats that there's a bunch of other things that could go wrong with uh, redacting text. Um, If you use uh, PDFs, for instance, you have to make sure that the redaction technique you're using is like actually removing the letters and not just simply making it so that there's a black text on a black background, but, you know, the words right. are still there. Um, that kind of thing happens a lot. 
In some cases, context can give you away where like if you're, for instance, redacting information in uh, a report or like a court document where there's only two names, Alice and Bob, um, and you say, you know, like, you know, the perpetrator was blank, but it's clearly only three letters long. Like, well, then that's mm. not really redacting very much, is it? So <laughs> right, you, right. You, there, there's still some things that can uh, get you into hot water, but at least the very basis use black bars fully covering the text. Um, and that is in the actual image of the text, not in a simple highlight function. That's Dan Petro from Bishop Fox. His depixelation tool is called Unredactor. You can find it on GitHub. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at OpenText. David, always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I want to uh, ask you to get out your crystal ball and look forward uh, for the rest of 2022. What are some of the uh, specific attack mechanisms that you think we may be in for as this year plays out? Um, yeah, 2022. Uh, <laughs> I think a couple of things are going to be the super fun repeat of 2021 and 2020 and 2019. You know, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna continue to see a ton of ransomware attacks and phishing attacks. They, I mean, these are so successful; they have no reason to you know divert from from that focus uh, on, on those two type of both delivery uh, mechanisms and, and, you know, attack vectors and getting, getting information from you. Now there's a couple of things that keep popping up that are super fun for old guys like myself, you being of course in your spry spry twenties um, there, David, but worms, we're seeing a ton of worms and, and this comes along with the proliferation of ransomware and, you know, you and I have talked many times about how uh, the the attackers have moved up level from the consumer and small business to the larger organizations. And this is why worms are an important part of their attack toolkit now, because once they land inside an org, they're using worms all over the place to deliver as much as they can. So it's pretty interesting to see see that happening. And kind of one of the, the last exciting, terrifying things about this year being an election year, David, I think we're going to see a ton of deep fake uh, a ton of things coming out in terms of, um, and, and those aren't directed necessarily at someone to steal their information, but I think we're going to see a lot of video, audio, AI, uh, modified technology that's going to make it hard, you know, with the with the proliferation of 
bad information. It's it always upticks in election years. Is there anything that you feel isn't getting the attention it deserves? Anything that you know you're you're trying to to shout from the the rooftops and uh, you know get people to focus on? I have said this to you so many times, and it it, it isn't anything exciting. Back up your data, people, and patch your systems because a lot of this stuff goes away if you do that. That that's one thing, and then another is in really to hit on something that people don't realize can be a, a cyber issue is supply chain. You know we're struggling right now uh, with inflation, with costs of everything, and and the minute that gets back on its feet, some you know government organization, some. Um, individuals could really disrupt the supply chain and knock us back down. And I think that's something we don't pay a lot of attention to because IoT was hot and exciting for a while, then it faded away, and everyone has stopped thinking about industrial security. And it's a big deal. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Alan Zahavi from CyberArk. We're discussing their research, How Docker Made Me More Capable and the Host Less Secure. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.